The pressure in almost every facet of life is to perform. We've got to rise the highest. We've got to make a name for ourselves. We've got to make the most money, etc. We essentially have to become gods. You will find that if you go forward in that pursuit, that God himself is nowhere to be found. Where can I find him then, you might ask? Good morning and welcome to God's Resistance. God's Resistance is local in Wilkes-Barre in the Wyoming Valley and spreading elsewhere. If you need someone to talk to or pray with and are interested in joining a small group to help you live as a disciple of Christ, then stay tuned for contact info. My name is Eric Samborski. I want to thank you for tuning into God's Resistance, where we resist sin, self, the devil, and the world. You can hear us every Sunday at 9 a.m. on WITK 1550 AM and 94.7 FM. If you miss the radio program, then look for the God's Resistance podcast on your favorite podcast platform and YouTube at 9 a.m. every Sunday where these are uploaded, and you will find other content on there as well. You can find us at godsresistance.com and on Facebook, Gab, Gab TV, Twitter, and YouTube at God's Resistance spelled G-O-D-S-R-E-S-I-S-T-A-N-C-E. Make sure to like, follow, and turn on notifications for helpful spiritual content. You're going to find us in person, uh, and we're playing it week by week here, but in the Wilkes-Barre Public Square at noon, uh, weather permitting, um, you'll find us out there with uh, having a street meeting. Uh, you can contact us at gods.resistance at gmail.com or give us a call at 570-362-7782. Now let's listen in on today's briefing. Here we are in this Christmas season. There's a lot of things we could talk about. There's a lot of things going on. A lot of people may say, you know, if they look in history that, oh, Christmas it wasn't really in December and, and we get off on all these arguments about what's the proper time frame and is this from paganism and all this. I just want to push that aside for a moment. And let's remember the birth of Jesus Christ. Regardless of where you want to place that in a calendar, society at large associates Christmas and the birth of Christ in December right at this moment. And they're open to hear that. So that's, the church has been doing that for I don't know how long. But then also, people in society are open to that, that truth, that reality that about Jesus and the gospel. So with that being said, in this cultural manner where people are accepting of this and their hearts are open to it, we are looking at the birth of Jesus Christ and specifically, I just wanted to bring out one verse, Luke chapter 2, verse 12. We read, And this shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. I just want to pray for a moment. Father, you know the truths that are inside of the Bible that you've preserved for thousands of years. And we're asking that, Lord, those truths that you've preserved a thousand years, thousands of years ago, that you would grip our hearts afresh by your spirit as you breathe through this word again here this morning. We just pray that you would fill us afresh with your spirit, clear our minds, and help us to be in tune with your very voice. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So he says, and this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Luke 2, 12. So we begin with this thought. And this shall be a sign unto you. So does God really need to give us a sign? Is this God's, you know, way of things that he has to give us a sign? Can't God do things without giving us a sign at all? Well, the answer is most certainly he can. He can give us a sign or not a sign, but the things that he wants to have happen will happen regardless of whether or not this sign works. So this shows us something about the character of God. God condescends down to the weakness of men, of people. And he does that by giving a sign because, you know, you and I, we can touch things with our hands. We can smell, we can see, we can hear. We've got these senses But it seems like the spiritual world is altogether farther away than what I can discern with my own uh, earthly senses. And so God in mercy condescends to right where you and I are. He says, let me give you a sign. This will be a sign to you so that you know that this is from heaven, so that you know that this is divine in origin. It's not just something some person made up because nobody can explain these signs. Nobody can explain these prophecies given hundreds and thousands of years ago that point towards this coming Messiah and have it fulfilled with an accuracy that is against mathematical odds. So he condescends to the weakness of us as people and gives a sign. And the sign is sought after by all, especially in this time of Christ. They're looking for this Messiah, this coming one who has been prophesied about so much so. And and I think I'll get to it at some point too, but the uh, wise men. So the wise men were not even Jewish people. And yet they had read in the scriptures and they knew about the sign of this one who was to come. And they read the stars and saw that things were aligned in all a certain way and were able to come and to find the Christ child. So this sign is sought after by all. And really, when we think of wanting a sign, the thing that's going on in our mind is it's, this is not divine. It's not supernatural. It's not God unless it's something attended with some miraculous supernatural occurrence. That could be the, the uh, I guess, the function of a sign. The problem is, is there's also a curse uh, that goes with the sign. The implication is, if I need a sign, then the ordinary things of life cannot be of God. And this is false. It's a fallacy. God, even as we read here in this verse and we see the life of Christ, he became a man. God became a man in the flesh and lived amongst the most mundane circumstances and people. God takes the ordinary and makes it holy, makes it divine. God made this world and said it was good. He said that we're to be working by the sweat of our brow, men, and we're going to be building things and whatever. And he said, that's good. God's made things in such a way where the simple things of life are simple joys that God himself has ordained and made. There's nothing to be despised of it. But when we're always looking for a sign, then we're saying the ordinary things of life cannot be of God. And we need to correct that mode of thinking. But also another sign, a part of the sign that we see here is the angels are speaking this sign. The angels are telling these people, the shepherds, which we'll get to, that there is this babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, uh, lying in a manger. You go see him. And they tell him where it is, Bethlehem. So the angels are giving this sign to shepherds. That's who the sign was to. 
And we read in the eighth verse of Luke chapter two, and there were in the same country, shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. So that's the setting of this sign. He could have gone anywhere. God could have made a sign show up anywhere on this earth. And yet he chose to reveal to shepherds. Why is that so significant? Because in the times of Christ, shepherds, and even before there, uh, were despised. The Egyptians despised shepherds. They thought they were dirty people. The Israelites got used to a more settled lifestyle than the nomadic one that they had before. So shepherds kind of, you know, they needed shepherds, I guess, in some respect, but it wasn't as prevalent as it was when you look at the the, the days of the patriarchs like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and, and then all of Jacob's sons. They had cattle, and that's how their their riches were seen to everyone around them. They had great flocks of sheep and all that. That was a good sign, but it started to fall out and being a shepherd was more of just a, you know, some people do it, but it's a dirty job. What is that equivalent to now? I don't know. Think about a janitor. Maybe think about the the trash collector man. Um, Those lowly jobs that, you know, if you were to go back to your high school reunion and tell somebody, well, I'm a janitor. uh, They really don't go back and, and go in the car as they're traveling home and talk about, you know, what wonderful strides you've made in your life. And I, I just want to let you know, listener, I'm not saying anything against you if you're a janitor or if you have uh, you work on a garbage uh, deliver or pickup service or whatever. I used to work at a gas station. And I remember, well, I'll get to that in a minute, but anyway, he, he's revealing to the despised people this great sign. The Mishnah, which was... Um, Judaism's written record of the oral law, they belittled shepherds as incompetent people, dummies. They don't know what they're doing. They're the deplorables of those days. One should ever feel obligated. One should never feel obligated to rescue a shepherd who has fallen into a pit. Just leave him there, the dirty guy. That was the way that even the the Jewish oral law was written. A man, Randy Alcorn, wrote this, in Jerusalem in the time of Jesus, Jeremiah notes, the rabbis ask with amazement how, in view of the despicable nature of shepherds, one can explain why God was called my shepherd. Smug religious leaders maintained a strict caste system at the expense of shepherds and other common folk. Shepherds were officially labeled sinners, a technical term for a class of despised people. So these were were not looked at favorably, the shepherds. I remember in high school going in the lunchroom and there was a specific like set of tables or whatever that these groups of kids that were friends with met at and they were like according to the to the caste system of high school which when I look back at it is ridiculous um those people were kind of you know the stank people nobody really cared about them they were you know they were the dirt bags or something whatever phrase people wanted to use but they sat over there by themselves this is what is going on here in the times of Christ with these shepherds. They're the kind of, they're the dirt bags. They're sitting over there by themselves. But then we have a problem because Jesus, he, he has this sign. God has this sign coming to these dirty people. Why did, why did the religious people, why did people miss it? Because they were confounding false understandings with what was true, what God had prophesied about through the Old Testament. There was this man brought up, uh, his name was Judas, 
uh, Gamaliel, uh, a Jewish doctor, a Jewish scholar, uh, a Pharisee, brought this up about this man. He said in Acts 5.37, after this man rose up Judas of Galilee in the days of taxing, he drew away much people after him. He also perished in all, even as many as obeyed him were dispersed. What does this have to do with anything? Well, this guy Judas taught the Jews to revolt against the taxation that was imposed upon them by the Romans. And the result was that they were looking for this bombast conquering political Messiah. And they despised any mean display of the coming Messiah. Do you think that God's Messiah would be found to submit to Rome and taxation and we born in a, and being born in a lowly manger? That's so absurd. This account, however, that we read about inside the scripture, it's not a legend. It's, it's reality. It's what God really did. This man, Alfred Edersheim, a converted Jew, he said, legend and tradition ever seek to surround their heroes with a halo of glory. And then they attempt to supply details which are otherwise wanting. So they make up these fanciful, wonderful stories about their hero. But here we read about Christ and there's nothing fancy about it. Here he reveals himself to the dirtbags of society, the sinners, the wicked shepherds, the dirty shepherds. We read in First in Corinthians uh, 1, 27 through 29, but God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty, and base things of the world to confound the things, or excuse me, and base things of the world, and things which are despised, hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not, to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. So this is God's design, listener. God comes to the base and lowly people by design, not by accident. And if we look through scripture, there seems to be an affinity in God's heart for shepherds. Look at the patriarchs. They were all shepherds. I was mentioning this before. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all Jacob's sons. They were shepherds. And before all of that, shepherds often. David, he was a shepherd, and yet he was the great king inside of the Bible. Amos, he was a prophet, but he was a shepherd. And then the shepherds, out of all the people in the world were the ones that had the sign revealed to them first. I wonder, were the shepherds asking for a sign? Or did God just choose to brighten the day of the shepherds? Because there they are, outside at night with their sheep, the outcasts of society. The Jewish rabbinic tradition was that this Messiah was going to appear at the tower of the flock. And that was a watchtower for the sheep that were used for temple sacrifice. So that was closer to um, the Jerusalem than where these shepherds may have been. But, you know, they, they may have had some portion of things right that he was going to appear to shepherds in some respect, but they totally, totally missed the point. And may God help us that our eyes are open, not only during this Christmas season, but always to the heart of God. Instead of trying to make God like a man, let's see who this God really is. In case you've just tuned in, you are listening to God's Resistance where we resist sin, self, the devil, and the world. You can hear us every Sunday at 9 a.m. on WITK, 1550 a.m. and 94.7 FM. Visit and like our social media accounts with Facebook, Twitter, Gab, Gab TV, and YouTube. Visit our website at www.godsresistance.com and contact us by email at gods.resistance at gmail.com or call us at 570-362-7782. So we read, and this shall be a sign unto you. What's the sign? You shall find the babe. You shall find the babe. 
That's important. The pomp religious leaders missed out on the announcement. God revealed himself to the humble and he identifies himself with the mean and base of society. We see this with Simeon, the old man that was waiting for this Messiah and and he was promised by God that he would see the Messiah with his own eyes before he passed and he sees the Christ child, the baby, come into the temple and, and he knows immediately this is the Messiah and he picks this one up and says, now I can die in peace. Yet the pomp religious leaders are looking for something entirely different. They miss it. There's the guiding star that's bringing people to this babe. It's like God was trying to give a surety of finding this Messiah, this one that was to come as a baby. God longed to reveal the gospel, the good news to his people. And yet he chose the base people to bring it to first. He chose as the mother of this Messiah, this miraculous virgin birth, Mary. We're told that she's a handmaid. And a handmaid was nobody special in society. She was poor. She grew up in a poor little town, Nazareth, where there wasn't much. This term handmaid does not refer to Mary looking at herself humbly, but rather a description of her condition. She was a nobody, according to this world. If Christ came through royalty, he would be the inapproachable God-man. You know, it would be hard for us to feel like I could identify with him if he came with all the pomp of royalty. But that's wholly against his nature because he came to lift the lowest up and to give them salvation. We read in James 2.5, Hearken, my beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he hath promised to them that love him? Again, this is not an afterthought. This is God's heart. This is what God does. He raiseth up the poor out of the dust and lifteth the needy out of the dunghill, that he may set him with princes, even with the princes of his people. Psalms 113, 7 through 8. So when you have nothing, then this humble way of God's revelation of this Messiah through a baby doesn't spoil the magnificent vision of this Savior of the world. Now he's accessible to me. Proverbs says, The full soul loatheth and honeycomb, but to the hungry soul every bitter thing is sweet. Proverbs 27.7 So to the religious Jew, to the one who's looking for this political revolutionary to conquer the Roman Empire, it's a stumbling block. This little baby born of this poor, wretched handmaid whom because she didn't have a baby in the normal way and was... It was conceived through the Holy Ghost. The ba- Jesus in her was conceived of the Holy Ghost. A lot of people just thought she was, you know, a whorish woman. And yet this is how God chose to come as a man in this world was through this lady. I don't know about you, dear listener, but this gives me great hope. This God seems far more accessible than perhaps what we originally thought. You can look at all the evangelical spectacles that are around us of people that have a real big name for themselves. They sold millions of copies of their book. They're, it's almost, you know, they're not personable. You can hardly talk to him. Jesus didn't care a lick about that. He came right down to the lowest spot. His dad was a carpenter and so was he. 
Carpenter was a common job. He wasn't aristocratic. And he was kind of right down to where we are. The shepherds could identify with him because of his lowly birth. You and I can identify the contractor, the plumber, the electrician, you know, the the farmer. We can identify with a God like this. And it's more reason really to glory in God for such condescension. God could avail himself behind all this royalty, but he didn't. He wanted to get a hold of you and I. He wanted to speak to us. He wanted for us to know him. So he had to come down to the lowest place because then we could see him. Because if he was still in the upper echelons of society, most of us wouldn't be able to. But he said, this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find a babe. Edersheim again says, what an amazing thought that on such slender thread as the feeble throb of an infant life, the salvation of the world should hang. And no special care watch over its safety. No better shelter be provided than a stable, no other cradle than a manger. And a manger was a feeding trough. There was the savior of the world in a feeding trough, laying down, not not in a fancy cradle, but where cows and sheep and goats and donkeys would eat hay. That's where he was. So you shall see a sign. You'll find a babe. And this babe will be wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Benson, a commentator, said, Doubtless they would expect to be told that they should find him, though a babe dressed up in fine robes and lying in state in the best house of the town with a numerous train of attendants. Nope. He was wrapped up in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger, the humble entrance of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords into this world in a feeding trough, wrapped in dirty swaddling clothes, really. My kids listened to this thing, and I can't remember the name of it. It's, it's a, I think it's called the Christmas Pageant. And it's these, it's a group of kids called the Erdmans that they're kind of like kids that didn't have a very good upbringing, perhaps their parents didn't watch over them much. They didn't really know a whole lot, but they were going to be part of this Christmas program. So they ask a ton of different questions, but I like what this one girl says she, when they're trying to do this Christmas pageant production through a church, she says, um, there he was wrapped in and wadded up clothes. She got it. Jesus was wrapped in wadded up clothes. It wasn't anything special. It was the humble entrance that he came in to this world in swaddling clothes. Again, showing how common God is. He's not a God way far off that you and I cannot talk to, that you and I can't experience. He's not a God that can't come down to where we are and see our troubles and our woes and help us through things. He's not somebody that just barks orders at us and then stands off and laughs at us while we struggle. He's approachable. A babe wrapped in swaddling clothes. He's accessible. Anyone who's listening can come to him. And mothers really of all sorts can identify with this. They know what it's like to hold this baby in in, in swaddling clothes or in in a cloth wrapped up like that holding this newfound life and being amazed that now you have care over this life. Now think about what it was like for Mary, normal mother like anyone else, except that she's got the savior of the world 
wrapped in these swaddling clothes, laying in a feeding trough. But mothers of all sorts can identify with perhaps the way that Mary felt. Just humble beginnings, a birth happened. It's miraculous in and of itself. If it wasn't for the angel's announcement, even the shepherds would have been looking for this Messiah in such a kingly state. Maybe because of the prevalent view of their time, they would have been looking for this political Messiah and seen this baby and just brushed it off and moved on. But the angels broke through while they were watching their sheep, their flocks, by night out on the hillsides, in the dark of night, in the cold of night. And the angel said, you're going to find this babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. So they were overjoyed to see this. This baby needed to be tucked in. This baby, baby needed to be kept warm. That amazes me whenever I think about this. Here we're thinking about God, the greatest being in all existence, in the most vulnerable of positions. He could have, he could have died, could have caught some kind of disease out there in the stable. You know, didn't have a proper heated room or whatever to do. No, he had to be taken care of by a mother. He couldn't take care of himself. He was a baby. He was vulnerable. He had the doting of his father and mother, Joseph and Mary. He had the doting of them over top of him. But the difference here was that even doting over this child, they realized this child is altogether different from any child. This child is the savior of the world. And they stand in such awe as they hold the, sa the salvation of the entire world in their hands in the most vulnerable place. There he is in the manger. Common folks, common people have laid their babies in maybe the bottom dresser drawer or a clothes basket. So we can identify with this. But the eating trough of a barnyard animal, would we feel like we got to do that? We think, no, I got to do something a little bit better for my baby. I can't just lay him inside of a dirty eating trough, but that's what happened. This is a God that's coming down to you and I. Not just this Christmas season, always. This is the God that's coming down to you and I trying to get a hold of us, trying to get our attention. Luke 1, 51 through 53, it says, He hath shewed strength with his arm. He hath scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He hath put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them of low degree. He hath filled the hungry with good things and the rich he hath sent away empty. So he maintained this lowliness and this accessibility throughout his entire life all the way up through his public ministry when he walked around preaching and teaching. The Bible says that he had no form nor comeliness that we should desire him. He was a friend of sinners. He welcomed children when others were saying, get him out of here. And he didn't have a place to lay his head. He was homeless. He maintained this his entire life. The first time, his first advent when he came was in humility and meekness and peace. And it was to save men and women from darkness. That was the first time that Jesus came. The second time he comes is going to be with judgment and with fire. The first time Jesus came is to woo and persuade and go as low as he can to lift all people up. Charles Spurgeon said this, There are some who are constantly bringing discredit upon religion by their pompous ritual and gorgeous ceremonies and it is buried beneath the weight of their sensuous worship. But the living Christ is still found in simple, lowly guise, wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. 
He is one chosen out of the people, the people's savior, and a manger receives the people's king. So dear listener, this Christmas season, don't think about Santa Claus and all the materialistic aspect of things that go along with Christmas and may and have Christ be buried in your thinking. Don't think that perhaps, oh, Christ is just, you know, for some of those richer people that, you know, go to mass and do all this. No. Jesus is the, the savior of the world and he's come for you to save you from your sins. And he came to the lowest place so that the, anybody could be lifted up by him because he went lower than anybody went. He went down to the bottom from the glories of heaven down to the dregs of earth. And here he calls you and I that you and I might be saved. If you're not saved, please call out on him, repent of your sins and put your faith and trust in Jesus. Your next step is to call 570-362-7782 or email gods.resistance at gmail.com. Introduce yourself to me. I'd love to set up a time, get a coffee with you, talk to you about spiritual things, help you along in your journey. I want you to visit our social media accounts, Facebook, Twitter, Gab, YouTube. Make sure to like and follow us. You're going to find more teaching, preaching to help you in your journey. You connect with other people that also are going on their journey. Tell your friends about this broadcast and our social media here. But above all, join the resistance, God's resistance. Special thank you to Spectacular Sound Productions for giving permission for the use of the song Heroes and Monsters, which was edited and used in part on this production. The permission was granted under Attribution Share Alike 4.0 International Creative Commons license. That license may be found at https colon forward slash forward slash creativecommons.org forward slash licenses forward slash by hyphen essay forward slash 4.0 forward slash legal code.